Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. I'm your host, Stella Bales. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing experts in emerging areas of PR. We'll be taking those hot topics in public relations, dispelling any myths, breaking down the jargon, so you are completely clued up and ready to speak to your stakeholders by the time you reach the office. If you have any questions around the episode, please feel free to tweet me at Stella Bales. Right now, there doesn't seem to be a day that goes past without another Instagram influencer story being in the press. And that's not just the marketing press either. We've seen in national news across the UK and definitely the US as well, Instagram influencers being investigated by advertising standards committees. We've also seen the ASA in the UK set new guidelines about what makes an influencer. We've also seen so much stories around my favourite, Love Island. So from Molly May going into the villa um, and her occupation actually being listed as an influencer to now as the show's ending, there's a lot of talk around who's going to have longevity as an influencer after the show's ended. Then we see so many mummy bloggers at the moment seem to be investigated by the ASA. Also, the new news of Instagram hiding likes in various markets. It really is endless. But all of this has got me thinking about the whole industry and the big phenomenon that we're reading about right now. Have we reached peak? With so many stories, do these influencers still hold the same power? Are they still influential? So in this episode, I decided to get two sides of the story, two opinions. Firstly, I speak to Scott Guthrie. He's an independent influencer marketing consultant. So he is recommending influencer strategies to brands. He's analyzing the whole industry so he can predict where we're going with it as well. He's also on the board of the influencer marketing show too. So he really is an expert in this area. But I also wanted a slightly different opinion. So I spoke to Lucy Piper. She's actually a PR consultant from Talker Taylor Troublemaker, which is a PR agency based in London and also New York. Lucy, though, I wanted to get her opinion more of the fact that she's a 19-year-old. I wanted to find out whether her and her friends are still influenced by some of these people they follow on Instagram. Because they've spent their teenage years following various females from lifestyle influencers to sort of makeup experts. And I really wanted to find out whether they still rate these influencers and whether they would connect with a brand if they had quite clearly paid the influencer to promote a product. Overall, I wanted to explore if there's still trust in this influencer group, where we're at within the marketing industry, and also what the future holds for this billion dollar industry. First up, here's Scott. It got me thinking, where are we at with Instagram influencers? Are we starting to see a peak and possibly a demise? Are people seeing through that? And so I wanted to speak to Scott today to see where we are on Instagram influencers in terms of audience, but also brands as well. Well, taking Mrs. Hinch to start off with, as I understand that the ASA uh, had given her advice on not one, but two separate occasions. So if if this is true, it appears that she knew the rules but took a calculated and informed decision to not abide by them. Perhaps Mrs Hinch thought that her posts would suffer from lower engagement lower engagement rates if, if she marked them as ads. But as consumers, to, to your part earlier, are, are we seeing a demise in, in Instagram influencer marketing or influencers? No, I don't think so. As consumers, I don't think that we have an issue with editorial, uh, advertorial rather, or, or sponsored content, but on three provisos. 
And I think the first proviso is we don't feel hoodwinked into thinking that the content is organic when, it, when it's paid for. As the rules stand, an ad must be obviously identifiable as such. So that means that as soon as you see, an, see a bit of content, you have to know it's a bit of content. It's not that, that bit of sponsorship isn't, isn't tagged away in a sea of other hashtags. It's not hidden away in the bio. You don't have to click through. You can see it, obviously, and you know what it is. I think the second proviso is that the content's got to be relevant to us. It's got to be good quality. Uh, and by that, I mean, by good quality, I mean that it's got to educate or entertain or inform or inspire us. And by relevant, I mean that the partnership between the brand and the influencer, it feels natural. And it feels natural because it feels credible. There's an obvious affinity between the brand, the influencer and the audience. And so when we talk about, you know, the, these Insta-famous, the, these people that are appearing, on, you know, appear on, on Love Island, they might have the big follower numbers, but can you transfer that halo effect from that sort of Insta fame into being a brand advocate? And, you know, and, that, and I think that is where the influencer marketing as a category falls down because there's a, there's a conflation in the media when the media talks about influencer marketing, it often talks about influencer advertising. And influencer advertising is, is kind of best seen by what I call banjo influencers, people with, with high follower counts on Instagram that bang another influencer job out without any real affinity to the brands that they're working with. Yeah, you can definitely see the difference in these different types of influence. And I think that's something probably for us to touch on right now we'd say instagram influencer that could be all sorts of different types of people and profiles and accounts can't it so in the last episodes was around it was all about meme marketing we were talking about the fact that there's meme accounts and they're not particularly a person even though there are, there are people behind it but you know there's no face to that account and it's awful banter or, or these other ones and but they are still an influential uh, an ac- uh, account which some brands do work with and then we've also got celebrities who are known for different things i.e. like sports stars who brands work with but there are just i think the, the where i was sort of coming from and, and maybe this is the the banjo ones that you're sort of coining the term for there good term it's the people who aren't known for a particular any other particular area other than just being known on instagram is that is that who you're sort of referring to well i, I think that you know <laughs> The rise of, in, of influencer marketing, they're, they're pull factors and push factors. And I think we've been pushed into this because as consumers, we're increasingly distrustful of media, of organisations, of brands. But we do like people like us. And so that's what I'm talking about. You know, when we, 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 if you look at who do we trust, we trust friends, we trust family. And by extension, we trust people like us. And these, these become influencers. But I do think that Instagram has is, is lost its way uh, a, li- a little bit. I think it's become like the, the barocca of social media. Uh, it's, it's you, but, on a, but on, only on a good day. It's the, you know, it's the digital self being, being something elevated and detached from the real self. And I think there is, a, there is now a backlash. The pendulum is swinging away from that, especially with younger creators, younger influencers coming up. We might have seen the, 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 the high watermark in August last year with Scarlet London, who had that misfortune of, of doing a post for Listerine. I don't know if, if, if everybody saw it. This creator created a, a post 
sponsored by Listerine. It was her in her bedroom. Everything was pink. There were pink, there were pink helium balloons. There was pink walls. She was wearing pink. You know, it was so overly staged. There were pancakes and strawberries on the bedspread. The whole mise en scene was was overly curated, overly pink. You know, and uh, and there was a big big backlash against it. So uh, I think for the last I don't know, 18 months, two years, possibly a bit longer. We've seen creators and people just in general, Instagram users, we've seen them have their, their Rinsta accounts, that's their real uh, accounts where they portray their, they showcase their work. But they also have Finsters, these fake accounts, which are kind of hidden, but and only their friends can see. And they, some, some of them even have Binsta accounts where only their, their best friends can see. And on, on the Binsters and on, on the, uh, the Finsters, the fake Instagram accounts, that they show a more real unguarded, less curated version of themselves, the real version of themselves. And I think we also see that with the rise of Instagram stories as well. It's the, the, uh, the, the ephemeral stories that last 24 hours allow people to show, display more of who they are. That's really interesting. I think you're, you're absolutely right on the, while well, Instagram stories are, are so popular is because people do see the real the real person behind that sort of glossy image. The couple of influences that you've mentioned, so especially with Molly May who's gone into the Love Island house, I think her followers tend to be a lot younger because she's I think she's 20 or 21 whereas Mrs Hinch's household tips isn't it, so slightly sort of older appeal. I think we've, I saw earlier when I was having a look at some of the demographics of Instagram, a third of the users are below the age of 24. Do you think the engagement between different age groups is different with, with Instagram and the opinions of these influencers? Well, I think it, I think it depends as much on the, the type of content that this age group is interested in. I mean, in the UK, 34% of all brand-sponsored content it falls within fashion and style. Mm. 21% of brand-sponsored content is devoted to beauty. So you top those up together and over 55% of all brand-sponsored content in the UK for, on Instagram is, is for uh, fashion, style or beauty verticals. And, and I would have thought that that is the sort of the natural territory of interest for for people you know below 24 not to say that we're not interested you know, above that but that that you know that's the subject matter that will allow more engagement and and I think also we were talking about the push factors you know away from traditional media we don't read newspapers anymore and those of us that do read newspapers are in the, on our 50s and 60s we don't tend to watch television anymore and again those that who those of us who do watch linear terrestrial television are getting older and, uh, as well the average age for bbc2 viewers is, is something like 62 even the 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 ultra young uh, e4 i think the average age is 45 so younger people are turning to social media platforms they're turning to youtube they're turning to instagram they're turning to tiktok to have better representation of, of the interests that they want to see and want to engage in Super interesting points from Scott there. Big one for me was the realisation of how the more niche the topic or the passion of the influencer, the more engaged the followers are going to be. Also, the fact that with the increase of Instagram stories, those followers can then call out of how real the Instagram influencer is really going to be. 
Love that. So it's at this point I want to bring in my interview with Lucy Piper. So Lucy Piper is a PR consultant from Talkatea the Troublemaker, but she's 19. So here I'm getting her opinion and also some of her friends' opinions on Instagram influencers. Are your friends aware of the term Instagram influencer? Yeah, I think especially among me and my friends, it's a very used term when talking about people on Instagram and if they're influencers or if they're not. And especially like this year, I think Love Island has really blown up and that has shown how quickly you can become an influencer, I think, and how much it can just blow up your career. So just looking at that term, what do you think, and thinking about some of your friends who aren't in a role of PR or marketing, how do they define an Instagram influencer, do you think? I think the first thing that we sort of judge is the following and is how many people that they are sort of supposed to be influencing. I think that really, you know, plays a massive factor in it. Also, what we also look for, sort of the word, is ads and how much paid things they're doing because now obviously you have to there's a new rule about you have to dedicate it if, if it's an advert you have to tell your following if it's paid you have to tell your following so I think if I see someone with a huge following and it's a paid ad they're immediately an influencer to me and is that a positive or a negative amongst you and your friends I'm not sure to be honest I think more negative because when you see what they're posting and when you see that paid for it immediately becomes sort of less personal and more like work, more like I've got paid for this, so I've put it on Instagram rather than I really believe in this or I really like what I'm wearing here, you should, you know, it, it feels less organic to me. On the follow account, something that you mentioned is how you would spot if, it was, if they were an Instagram influencer or not. What kind of numbers are you looking at that make you think they're an influencer or they're not? Mm, my gosh. In terms of numbers, possibly the, I'd say over 50K as a sort of go-to, oh yeah, that's an influencer. Especially, you know, working in PR, you have to find influencers, you immediately look at numbers and you immediately go for those higher numbers and who's going to have the most effect. Do you think that's something, um, again, that you're friends would find as a draw to to that particular influencer like the follow account in some ways yes and in some ways no I think they will because they are obviously popular and you immediately know there's something about them you immediately want to follow them because you know they have a massive following they've got to be doing something right but also no because when you look at the higher numbers you really detach yourself from the person rather than if you're following someone from sort of the beginning or if they have a small following you feel more attached to them you feel it's more organic and you're actually gonna be influenced by their actions rather than if it feels like a campaign or an advert is there anybody on instagram that you have done that with so anybody that you feel that you've seen grow into an influencer but maybe had a smaller following when you first came across them i think who pops to mind i mean 
when talking about the smaller numbers, nothing pops to mind in the fact that I'm with them from sort of day one, should we say. But I've definitely seen progression in influencers. Like there's this influencer on Instagram, she's called Victoria Jane, and I loved her because of her makeup. She's amazing. Like that is definitely influential to me and my friends. But, and it's because it's so unique as well. And I've definitely seen her, she's always had a high following, but I've always, I have definitely seen her grow and do more things and delve into fashion as well, rather than just makeup. So I have seen the progression and it's quite obvious when they are progressing and there's more ads rather than just a natural post. So yes, in that sense, yeah. Interesting. Do you think that her following increased when she started going out with somebody quite famous as well? <laughs> if I think of the same person. Yes, definitely. <laughs> that definitely gives you a helping hand in the Instagram world, I think, 100%. Going back to the, your, your job, you have been a Talker Taylor troublemaker now for a few months, haven't you? Yeah, so I think it's just coming up to nine months. Nice. And in that time, since you've been in the the PR world and the public relations industry. How has your view of Instagram influencers changed? I think I've definitely seen how we can utilize them to the best of their ability. I think they are really good in terms of campaigns. They really give that a more organic voice to it. We did a campaign for King of Shaves launching their Code Zero range, and we actually did a massive influencer event around that, inviting grooming influencers, male influencers, lifestyle, and from that, it really, really showed they really cared about the cause for one, and I think you can definitely see that when you use influencers rather than any other outlets. And it's really good when they provide coverage and it's not paid for because you really feel that they are really behind your campaign and you get amazing results like the reaches are outstanding yeah. the only thing I would say is now the influencer world has become sort of paid for a lot you do struggle to find influencers that will do it for free and of course I think some of them are definitely worth paying for if they have that high reach definitely invest but it's always the question of if they are unpaid for are they going to post and was this worth doing so it is really helpful when it comes through but also there is that question of it's it is a mystery you don't know what content they will provide you don't know if it'll be negative or positive if you're not paying for that you know, result. Something that you just said that was interesting that you get the best results when they're really passionate about the topic. So you said that you invited some grooming influencers along to, to that event. For me, when I've been looking at some of these Instagram influencers, it's it's the for some it's the lack of the sort of like the niche interest where I sort of find it confusing where they're just a lifestyle influencer. Do you th- see that difference when you're looking at the, the rain when you're going through different influences and maybe selecting some for a campaign do you see that difference in like their followers and engagement yeah I suppose it is a difficult one because some of them do everything they do fashion they do food you have to really portray it as in the, the exact campaign you have to really match it up because otherwise they won't be interested they won't attend and they won't provide you content it's, I think I found it really helpful when the campaign is very specific. So if it's a launch of a vegan menu, great, because you just pick vegan influencers and they are immediately going to be passionate about vegan food, vegan fashion. And say this Cozero one was really around environmental aspects. So that sort of heartfelt campaigns are amazing because it's very hard to find someone that doesn't care and doesn't want to help you. 
it's when it becomes a bit more stunty and a bit more product based you sort of tend to lose the influencers and you do you know you don't get that passion that you really want to come out of the event or the stunt or the campaign are all of your friends active on instagram yeah every single one of them (laughs) and have any of your friends ever had a desire to become an influencer Yes, I'd say it's very common, especially with girls, definitely in my age range. I mean, it's just, you wouldn't say no, in, in my opinion. That's what I've, I've got from my friends especially. My friend at the moment is actually just joined um, a program to become a fitness influencer. It's very, like, slow burn, but she is enjoying it. And she said that she really wants to, it would be amazing to be an influencer because in some ways there's no downside especially if you're sort of at the lower end you enjoy and you have the following and you're earning a bit of extra money but it's not really high pressure environment yet and she's finding it really really good it's definitely something that none of my friends ever say they say no to because i think everyone wants to be that person where someone you know inspires or you can help someone by influencing them just a little bit. That's actually a really nice positive take on it. I think sometimes it's seen that it's just for the money, but actually if you're saying that they actually genuinely want to inspire people, that's, that sound, that's a really, really nice way to be looking at it, and it's really positive. So your friend that's going through that programme, is that something she's found online? What is the programme? Yes, it was. I can't remember details, unfortunately, but she found it online and it was through a competition. So they actually whittled it down and she became one of the finalists to enter and go through this program with actual fitness influencers. It's something she's really passionate about, so I think that's why she's so, you know, feet forward in it. And what's the, do you know what the aim is? Is it to get to a certain amount of followers? When she's been talking about it, it's mainly to just progress, to build influencer, to build following is one of the first key things you have to do. It's a vet to also develop a sort of connection with the people that you're following for example like high engagement rates that's what you want so for her to do a really passionate post it's really helpful because then you'll know who is who's there and who's being influenced what to you and whether it's within that program or if it's your opinion what makes good engagement I think a cause and having and seeing a passion for what they do is really, really important to those who are going to engage with you. I think if you follow an influencer, say if it's fashion, I think if you don't see that level of passion and sort of emotion with them, you definitely distance yourself from them. Like you're not as inclined to support them, like their posts, share, all that. But I think when influencers I saw one the other day that was she was she cried because she reached like 100 million or some amazing number of followers. That's insane to see because it doesn't seem like that of emotional topic because it can make so so much difference to someone's life and it is their life. Some of them and most of them, it's really nice to see and you want to support them. It is nice seeing the real person, isn't it? It's not just a high-end lifestyle shot. And on that point, what is your what makes for you as a follower of, of an influencer, what are the posts that you find most engaging or inspirational? Personally, I, I'm a very girly girl. I like fashion, I like makeup. I really, um, for me, it's really all about expressing the creativity behind the person. So if they 
pose with an outfit. It's not just to sell the outfit, to make money for yourself and the brand. It's because you love it and there's a message or something that says, you know, this is why I love it. Especially with makeup, it's quite nice because I think above fashion, that's what you see a lot of passion in, in the influencer industry. I think a lot of people are passionate about makeup and when you see it come through, it's really nice to see. It's really great hearing your perspective on, on different influencers. So where we are at with now Instagram influencers going into the Love Island villa and having sort of national exposure and national newspapers now talking about Instagram influencers, where do you think we are going? Do you think that people are losing trust in, in influencers or do you think that they do have a future? I think they'll always have a future because of how successful they will continue to be and how much you know reach they have and engagement. But I do think that we are going in a negative direction in the fact that most influencers, especially from Love Island and things like that, do seem very editorial, do seem very just like an advert. I think we are losing that aspect of passion. Sometimes, especially with the Love Island cast, I do think that all you see is a picture, looks like it could be in the front of a magazine, and just a sort of blank message about it and telling me it's an ad. You don't really see the feelings at the moment. I just think that's the direction we're going in. It is sad. So the real connection to their, to their followers is yeah. what's, what's needed. This podcast is brought to you by Coverage Book, the reporting tool that's made by PR people for PR people. Head to coveragebook.com for your free trial. Should a brand just do a simple, here's a product, please do hashtag spawn, or should it be a slightly different approach? What is the best way for a brand these right now? Because I know it changes all of the time right now to be working with Instagram influencers. I think, first of all, you've got to know, it sounds an obvious point, Stella, but I think, first of all, you have to know who your audience is and where they hang out. But also, you need access to data to map that your audience with the intended influencer's audience. You need to know, are they the right age group for your, for your brand? Are they the right gender? Are they the right location? I met a, an Egyptian influencer, young, I think 22, 23 year old. She was doing a master's in, the, in London and she had a big following. She had 100,000 Instagram followers. And so she did some Instagram uh, influencer marketing activation. She worked with the Royal Mail. She worked with the British Telecom, BT. She worked with the National Lottery. But looking into the demographics, 85 or 90% of her following were back in Egypt. So absolutely no relevance to the, to the Daily Mail, so the, the Royal Mail, no relevance to BT, no re- relevance to, to the National Lottery. <laughs> so, you know, so it's not just about does, does their face fit, but it's about looking at the data. Does the audience map in terms of location, in terms of gender, in terms of age, in terms of the style of the content that the influencer is creating. So, you know, so my advice, I suppose, would be to, to follow these people. Once you've identified them in terms of data, you know, get to know them, get to know their style, get to know their tone of voice, get to know the sort of the typical type of content that they produce. So I, I do have some sympathy with Scarlet London and the ill-fated Listerine activation. Scarlet London is known for those that, that sort of creative look. They like it or loathe it, that's what she does time and time again. It's overly, overly pink, overly saturated in her bedroom, 
that sort of mise-en-scene. And anyone working on the act activation on behalf of Listerine would have, if they scrolled through her timeline, would have seen that. So it's not just about the data, it is, is it the right fit? Are they, is it the right tone of voice as well? And also, you know, m measure the engagement rates, both organic and the, spot, and the brand collaboration work. So sometimes an influencer on their organic work will have a really high rate of engagement, but when they work with brands, they, the engagement rate suffers. And that might mean that they, they just don't put enough effort into the brand collaboration work. So those are the sorts of things to look out for. From a um, brand perspective, when I'm planning this and doing the research into the influencers, are there tools specifically for Instagram that will go into the detail of their followers? Are there any out there that will, yeah, look at the demographic of followers and what they might be into? Yeah, I mean, there, there are plenty of marketplace platforms. So Bazool is a great example of that, but there's also Tribe, Indahash, Takumi. And they will be able to, you know, if you provide them with a creative brief, they'll be able to identify the most appropriate influences based on, on that creative brief and the sort of audience you're trying to approach. Of course, you can do it yourself by just, you know, by following the, the most appropriate influences that, based on hashtags and based on, you know, on, on the type of content they create. But there are, uh, there are also other tools like uh, Hype Auditor and Social Blade, which uh, are able to tell you, uh, sort of at a high level, the breakdown of demographics and you know, and the rise throughout the, the months and years of the, the follower counts and the engagement rates. It's been well advertised uh, or well documented in the last year or so about the rise of, of influencer fraud. That's, that's buying fake followers and buying fake engagement. So tools like Hypot Auditor, tools like a Social Blade will be able to show you sort of if there's been a, a sudden uptick in follower counts or a sudden uptick in engagement and that might be symptomatic of purchasing engagement and purchasing uh, follower counts. Really good tips there, especially for the fake followers. It's always um, quite difficult to tell unless you have that sort of timeline, isn't it? So again, thinking about brands and I, and I want to do this kind of campaign and thinking about what success looks like. Again, in the last interview, we talked about a Boohoo example where they had put a meme out and it had a T-shirt and then they started selling the T-shirt and it just sold out very, very quickly. Great measure of success, those T-shirts sold out. If it's not something as straightforward as that, as, a, as a, just a T-shirt, but it's more around, you know, brand. I mean, I wonder if Listerine is, is maybe a good example there. You know, what kinds of metrics of success should we be looking at with working with Instagram influencers? Yeah, again, it, it depends on what your objectives are. I mean, it's, a, I suppose, a bit of a, a silly answer to, to your question. But it depends on where you're trying to move the needle and where in the... Uh, in the customer journey or the sales funnel you're trying to activate. So it might be you're trying to you're trying to bring your brand to a new audience that doesn't already know you or already think you don't have as a brand you don't have the voice and the authority to speak. So you will work with an influencer who does have a, the authority to speak to that that new audience. So that might be about awareness, that might be about high engagement figures, that might be about uh, high reach uh, ability to to reach large numbers of a new audience. It might be about you want them to find out more information to go to a landing page and so you might use stories and swipe ups to, to, to track that. It might be about buying the product you know as well. So I think you know if, if 
influence of fraud is on one thing. I think it's, is a, I, I take a slightly contrarian view that influence of fraud has is, been beneficial to the industry because a few years ago we lionised reach as the key metric above all other metrics. So then there were bad actors that went and bought fake followers. So then we said it wasn't all about reach, it's about engagement too. So again, these same bad actors went out and bought fake, uh, fake engagement. So at each time it nudges the industry forward away from these vanity metrics, more towards intent metrics, and ultimately towards impact metrics. You know, what, what, is, what is the desired end result not just from the communications point of view, but from an organisational point of view as well. Is it to sell more product? Is it to get you know to access to, to new audiences? Is it to, to create more positive brand sentiment? And then once you know what your objectives are, then you can you can track them in different ways. But I would I would suggest it's more than just about how many eyeballs you potentially saw, as in theoretical reach. It's more about real reach. It's more than engagement it's more it's more about i suppose on instagram it'll be more about the quality of the comments not just an emoticon or a cool pick but starting a, you know an engagement a conversation with with the influencer i think it's all about also about the number of saves that that post has, has generated how many dms direct messaging that that post has created as well This is the PR Resolution Podcast. Keep in touch by following me on Twitter, at Stella Bales. For more reading on PR, head to blog.coveragebook.com. Don't forget to tune in to the next episode and make sure you subscribe to the series on iTunes now. See you there.